Amen. Are you glad you're here already? Amen. I am too. Man, it's time for a fresh start. That's what God did in the book of Acts. He, he made a fresh start, and he makes a fresh start in us every day. His mercies are new every day. Amen. In Jesus Christ. We gather at times like this for that purpose so that we might have fresh start together as a church. God's got something fresh he's doing in us. I don't know if you make New Year's resolutions or not, if you have some new goals for the year, but uh, my wife got me a uh, Fitbit. I asked her for it, though. She wasn't just trying to say something to me. I asked her for it. And so, you know, now the goal is 10,000 steps a day, right? That's kind of what they recommend. So some days I get far from it. But some days I get close, like last night. It's getting late, and I'm getting tired, and I'm about ready to go to bed. And I thought, well, I'll just check my steps and see how close I am. And I look down, and it's like 9,542. Oh, I'm that close. It's cold outside. We've got a fire in the fireplace. You know, Hunter and Brooke are there, and Taylor and Nick are there. And I'm thinking, i got to get these steps in. So I just start walking around the living room, just in circles, until I get my steps, you know. And they're like, what are you doing? Trying to get my steps in. I got to beat my goal. 10,000 steps. And so, you know, they go on with their conversation. They go on with their movie, whatever they're doing. Finally, ding a ling a ling. I did it. 10,000 steps. Good night, y'all. See ya. <laughs> I hit my goal. I was done. So, so on a day like this, you know, hey, I'm up to, ah, I just hit 6,600 already. So Sundays are an easy day for me to hit my 10. That's, that's easy. So I don't know what you do every new year if you set some new goals. Maybe they're physical, maybe they're diet-related, maybe they're for your career, maybe they're financial goals. I don't know what they are. But the thing that we do know is for us as the people of God, we know that this outward shell is just that. It's a shell, and it is fading, and it does fade. But as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he says, Though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And so I set some goals for the new year, but the greater goals are not what's on the outward. The greater goals are what's the inward man. So I hope you're setting some new goals this year for the inward man within you. I hope you've set some new priorities. I hope you've readjusted some schedules. I hope you've made some new goals for growing that spirit man within you. I hope you've made some goals to put the vertical above the horizontal. Amen. I hope you've made some goals to put the kingdom of God over the kingdom of man. The kingdoms of this world are never going to satisfy this world's ills. Only the kingdom of God can do that. I hope you're, you're making some goals to put your faith in what is unseen and not just in what is seen. I hope you're making some goals to put yourself in a place where you have greater hope than you do despair, where you have reconcilia reconciliation and forgiveness instead of conflict and strife. I hope you make some goals to hear from God and build your faith. We're doing that as a church. And I want to let you know about something that's coming up here in mid-February that we're going to encourage our church to do as a whole. We have a lift group uh, ministry here. We have groups that meet in homes in our community. And uh, not everyone's plugged in there. So what we'd like to do for four weeks, starting on February 11th, is an in-home four-week group experience. And we're going to encourage everybody to get involved. We're kind of, uh, for that four weeks, we're scrapping our current lift group arrangements and just starting 10 brand new groups. And in those groups, we're going to be going through this series, The Circle Maker. It's all about the power of prayer. 
taking the areas in your life that are the areas of greatest need or dream or wonder or hurt and circling them with prayer and faith and promise and keep circling and keep circling until we hear God respond. Amen? So next week, you'll have an opportunity to sign up in one of these groups. It's just four weeks. I think we can do that. Four weeks. It's no long-term commitment. They'll <clears throat> be in homes here in our community. We're going to provide child care here at the church. And for these four weeks, we'll meet from 6 to 7.30. It's a DVD-based curriculum on this book by Mark Batterson. You'll sign up in advance, and we'll do this thing, and we'll see what God does, not just in our fellowship, but what he does in our faith. Amen? So be thinking about that. Next week, you'll hear more about it, how you can actually get plugged in. So we started this series last week called Fresh Start, and last week we made this discovery, come up with this big point here, and here it was. Before the new can come, the old must go. I just read to you just a few minutes ago the, uh, the story of the book of Acts where the Spirit came. What's interesting is that Jesus himself said, unless I go, he cannot come. Interesting. We see the humility of Jesus in going to the cross, but here he is after he has been resurrected, he's still practicing humility. And he says, it's my time to go. It's time for the Spirit to come now. I'm stepping off the stage, and I'm ascending back to the Father. It's time for the Spirit to come. And so we talked about how in our own lives, there are some things that if you want new to come, you've got to be willing for the old to go. You can't keep doing the old and wonder why the new hasn't happened. You have to make some conscious choices to set aside the old if you want the new to come. Our passage is in Acts chapter 2. We started there last week, and we're going to continue there today with the story. And what I'd like to do is take our passage, and I normally will walk us verse by verse through a passage. Today, watch this, I'm going to start at the end of the passage and read a verse, and then we're going to come back and catch up, all right? So in this day of movie prequels, we should be able to understand how that works, right? You know, where you see a movie, then you find out later, oh, here's three prequels that happened before that, we can do this. So we're gonna, I'm going to show you a verse today. We're going to see kind of the results, the end of the story, and then we're going to walk it back to the beginning and see how they got to this place, how God did something amazing. Acts chapter 2 is where we are today. Verse 43 is where we start. And it says there, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It's Acts chapter 2. The Spirit has come for the first time and has filled the hearts of men and women. And there are miracles happening. These tongues, these languages are being spoken. People from around the globe are hearing the glories of Jesus in their own language. And as this unfolds, People come to hear and to see. People come who are from Jewish backgrounds. People come who had no religious background whatsoever. And they come, and in the midst of all of it, Peter stands up. That's just what Peter does. He's that disciple. He's the guy that if there's a moment of lull, if there's a moment where something has to be said or done, Peter's the guy. He's going to stand up. So Peter does that. And much of Acts chapter 2 is a message 
a sermon that Peter preached. And it has unbelievable impact. It's powerful. He speaks to these Jews and these who have never believed. And they are at a place where they are just in awe of what God has done. They're also kind of broken over what's happened. And what we see here is they get to this place where they are in this place of awe and wonder. They are in a place of expectation and anticipation that God's going to do something. They had seen his spirit poured out, and now they believe he's going to continue to do big things. How about that? They had faith that God would continue to keep doing big things. Did you know that that really is a um, prerequisite for God doing big things? Is for the people to believe he can do big things? It's interesting, Jesus told a story about uh, a city he wanted to go to. In fact, he would planned to go there. And the disciples said, well, are you not going to go there? And he said, you know, I can't do many miracles there because the people do not believe. Interesting. That you could limit God by your amount of belief. You limit God by the amount of your belief. If you have little expectation, little anticipation, if this whole faith thing is a spectator sport to you, where you're on the sideline and you're watching the players and you think it might be interesting, but most of the time you think it's not. If it's a one hour a week event for you, Versus a way of life. If there's very little expectation, anticipation of God doing something great, I can tell you this. He's not going to do much great in your life. Sad to hear, but true. But to those who have anticipation, expectation, belief, seeking, waiting, just sitting there ready on the edge of their seat ready to be changed, ready to see change happen, and you're moving in that, and you're walking in that, you have that kind of faith, God will move in your life. And, and I'll just tell you, I don't want our church to be on the sideline when God starts doing big things. I want to be up in the middle of it. I want to be right there. I want to be the people who are believing. I want to be the ones with expectation. I want to be the ones with anticipation so that when he starts, we're ready. And he moves and change happens. Amen? Look at the verse. Fear came upon every soul. They were all in this place of awe and wonder and anticipation and excitement and passion and expectation. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It happened. They were expectant and it happened. They were anticipating it, and it happened. They had faith that God would do it, and it happened. And Jesus kept telling the disciples, Oh, you of little faith, I have so much I want to show you, so much I want to tell you, so much I want to do in your life, but you've got to have more than just little faith. So this is the end of the story. This is what happens the people are filled with awe and wonder and fear and in 
anticipation and excitement. And as a result, miracles happen. Now, I don't mean just physical miracles. I'm sure those happen too. But there were miracles where a dad who'd had a heart that was totally away from his family all of a sudden repented and he came back home. The hearts of fathers returned to the children. The hearts of the children returned toward the father. People who had been involved in stuff they had no business being involved with all of a sudden repented of those things and change happened. Signs and wonders were being done. People's lives were being changed. People who had been stubborn and resistant were all of a sudden giving and serving. People who had been selfish and stuck on their own hurts and their own interests and their own ways were all of a sudden broken and they were more concerned about the needs of others. People who had been filled with fear and anxiety were all of a sudden set free from those things and they now walked in hope and great expectation. You see, that's the kind of stuff that happens when the Spirit of God begins to work in a place and that's what I want to see and I know that's what you want to see as well. Amen? We don't want to be the church that just gathers just to go through the routine. We don't want to be the church that's on the corner that just had a few years of some glory days and then it just kind of went away. I want to be the church that's the starting place that the Spirit of God did something big and it made a difference in our world. Amen? I want to be part of that. I want to experience it. I want to see hearts change. I want to see lives made new. I want to see new priorities happen in people's lives. I want to see things happen like that where people give to someone else who's in need, where someone loves someone else who's undeserving, where someone else forgives somebody who hurt them deeply, and there's a spirit of love and reconciliation that come together. And the only, only explanation of it is the Spirit of God. That is what's happening in this verse. In even greater ways than we could even begin to articulate today. But this is what happened. Now I want us to walk back to the prequel and see how did they get to this spot? How did that happen? What lessons can we learn so that as we have a fresh start to this year, that we don't just make simple, safe goals for our life, but we make giant, faith-risking, rock-solid, confident commitments and change before God. Amen? So that's our message today coming up, how to live in continual awareness of God's presence and power. I don't want it to just be Sunday morning. I don't want it to just be another day in the week. I want to live in that. I want us to live in that, to walk in that, so that we're expecting to see God on Tuesday at 2, Thursday at 9 p.m., and Thursday at 5 a.m. if need be. Amen? And there's nothing that keeps us back from it because we're excited about it. We're passionate about it, and we're expecting it to happen. So Acts chapter 2, let's rewind the story. Verse 36 is where we start. Peter has preached his message, and he gets to the end, and he is telling them all about this Jesus. In fact, he tells them, you're the ones who crucified him. You are the ones, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The one you thought was not the way. The one you thought 
was full of error, the one you thought was full of the devil, the one you refused to believe, the one you mocked, the one you made fun of, the one you crucified, by your own words and actions, God has made him both Lord and Christ. He has given him a name above all names. He has lifted him up. He has been resurrected. He has defeated the grave. He has defeated Satan. He has paid for sins. And he has been ascended back to the Father. Can you imagine the weight of hearing that? Have you ever had someone confront you about something? And you didn't want them to know what you did, but somehow they found out what you did. And they came and they talked to you and they confronted you. That sinking feeling right there, like, oh, I've been caught. And you try to make excuses, but it doesn't matter. They know. And you're just caught. This is what's happening. The house of Israel have been caught. And they are all of a sudden fully aware of what they've done. And it's bad. They didn't just mess up a little. They crucified God's son. They rejected him. They have blasphemed all that he had come to do and be. And this is how Peter ends his sermon. Hmm. Verse 37, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to no escape. They were caught and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? He didn't get to the end of his message and have to ask people to respond. He got to the end and they were responding. What are we going to do? What now? We've blown it. We've failed. We've messed up. It was us. What do we do? And it looks like a terribly sad moment, and it is. But it actually becomes the very first thing that's necessary if you want to walk in the continual awareness of God's presence. So here's our first big truth for the day. Awareness comes to those at the end of themselves. You want to be aware of the presence of God? You want to be aware of him working your life in a mighty way? God arranges those moments. And he brings you to places where you are absolutely at the end of yourself. You can't solve the issue. You can't cover your tracks. You can't resolve the problem. You can't work out the conflict. You can't logically put it all together and you're undone. It could be that you're caught in your sin. It could be that you're just caught in confusion. But you come to the end of yourself. And for us, for some reason, in this day and time, it's really just something that's been true of man of all time. But something about us in America in the 21st century, it makes it hard for us to come to that place. That I am undone. 
We don't like to admit our, our faults. We don't like to admit our failures. We don't like to admit we don't have it all together. We like to look put together. We like to seem put together. We like to let people know what we've done. But God says the opposite of that is what you have to do if you want to experience all that he is. You've got to come to the end of yourselves. You have to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You have to humble yourself in the sight of others. You have to admit that you are a sinner. You have to call out for a Savior. This is how it begins. And if you don't begin there, you'll never experience continual awareness of God's presence and power in your life. It has to start here. Your heart has to break. Your will has to break. You have to become desperate. You have to get to the place where you're willing to do whatever. You won't get there by saying, well, I might think about doing that for the Lord. Until you're at the place where you are done, where you can't, and you're resolved to do whatever it takes, you won't experience the fullness and the awareness of God's presence in your life. People throughout the scripture that were in the place of refusing were the ones who didn't experience God. In the book of Proverbs, it says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He says in his heart, he's convinced, he's rejecting, he's pushing away. Jesus talked about those that he spoke with and he, he spoke in parables and he said, they see, but they really don't see. They hear, but they really don't hear. And he said, what they're doing is they're actually fulfilling what Isaiah said. He says, by hearing you shall hear and you shall not understand. And seeing you will, you will see, but you won't perceive. It's because your heart has hardened. Jesus went on and said, this people's heart has become gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. And they've closed their eyes lest at any time they should see and their eyes be opened and their ears be opened. If you want to truly see and hear and experience, then you've got to get in the routine of admitting you don't have it all together in and of yourself. It's how you come into God's presence, really. You don't come strutting into God's presence. You don't come proclaiming how good you are. You come admitting your sin and proclaiming how good he is. And you come by faith. That's how you start to experience. That's just how you start to experience. Did you hear me? That's how you start to experience the awareness and the presence and the power of God. And these folks were on their way. It got real practical for them. They weren't just quoting some religious terminology. What do we do? The passage goes on, verse 38, and it says, Then Peter said to them, he didn't leave them in their place of despair. He says this to them. He says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, There's something that you're going to have to do. You've heard the truth, and now it's on you. 
You have to repent. You have to change your way. Repent is the word that doesn't mean just feel sorry about. It's the word that actually means to completely turn around and go the opposite direction. So if someone's going to repent, they don't just come to a church service and feel a little badly about what they've done. You have to come to the place where you are passionate, desperate, and enough desperate that you say, I'm done. I'm not walking this way anymore. I'm not going to be involved in that situation, relationship, habit, pattern, whatever it is, no more. I repent of that and I turn. In fact, that's what repent means. Hello, turn. And you do that. You have to do that. If you want change to come to your life, you have to change. You have to repent of what you've done. It's a funny thing in Christianity. We get into this situation, we have a conversation with people like that, and some people say this, well, I know I probably should do that, but I'm just waiting for God to really show me something about that. I'm waiting for God to do something, then I'll do that. Then I'll change my ways. Then I'll pick up a new pattern in my life. Then I'll seek him. Then I'll give. Then I'll serve. I'm waiting for God to do something. I'm waiting for him to do something in me, to try to change me. I want to feel differently about the situation. I'm just waiting. And people wait. People in the church today wait. And they say, well, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for God to do something. I'm waiting for God to move. I'm going to tell you the truth. As Peter told the people the truth in his day, God has already done something. He sent his son to pay for your sins. He died on the cross for you. He rose again the third day, defeated Satan, defeated the grave, ascended to the Father, sent the Spirit. He's done something. There's nothing else for him to do. And we keep waiting for him to do something, and I'm convinced he's really the one waiting for us to do something. It's true. What else do you want him to do? You want him to repay for your sins? You want him to resend his spirit to you? You want him to re-speak his word to you? You want him to recall you again? He's done that. The time is now to respond. He's done something already. You don't have to wait for him to speak again. You don't have to wait for some emotional moment to happen. The time is now to act. And that's what Peter said. You want to know what to do? I'm going to tell you what to do. You repent. That's what you do. You turn. And if you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, be baptized. Do that. Don't wait for us to turn the lights blue, play some ooey-gooey music, and then you decide to. Do it. Hello. Are you with me? Don't wait for some moment that feels all emotionally right before you serve, before you do the thing, whatever it is God's called you to do. If he's called you to work in children's ministry, 
Stop waiting for some tear-filled video to come on the screen before you choose to do it. Hello? If he's called you to get involved in a small group, don't wait for your spouse to say, honey, you think we should get involved in a small group? Do it! If you're waiting for your spouse to clean up their act before you love them, uh-uh. You do it now. You love them. You serve them. <clears throat> wow. You serve them. You sacrifice. Don't wait for someone else. Well, I'm just waiting for somebody else that I know to step up first, and then I'll go. Don't wait. Do it. Well, I'm just waiting for my child to be a little bit more obedient before I really show them how much I love them. Stop that. Stop making everything you do conditional. I will if they. I will when they. Jesus didn't do that for you. In fact, his only if then and will then is when you were sinners, he died for you. So quit waiting. Repent. If you need to be baptized, be baptized. Walk in him. Here's what happens. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he told them. You, wanna, you want change to come? Then change. You say, well, I'm just waiting for my heart to be moved. I'll tell you what. When you change, your heart will be moved. It will. That, that's the order. It didn't say you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and then repent. It doesn't. You look at it. It's there. Repent first. Receive the Holy Spirit's last. Change your actions. Then heart change comes. Change your ways. Then heart change comes. It's the pattern. That's the way it works. You get the pattern out of order, you won't experience it. Here's our second big truth this morning. Awareness comes to those who step out and obey. To those who don't wait for the right moment, but they say, what do we do? What do we have to do? We want to be right. We want to do what's right. They step up and they do it. And then they get the instructions and they do it. They don't wait. They don't condition it. They don't put it off. They do it. You take the step of obedience. You don't wait till you feel better about it. You take the step of obedience, and then I promise you, you're going to feel better about it. That's the way it works. You don't wait for your spouse to take the first step. You take the first step, regardless of whether your spouse does or not. You don't wait for someone else who's hurt you to come to you and ask forgiveness. You forgive them first. That's what you do. Whether they come in tears, whether they never come in tears, you forgive them. You take the step of reconciliation. You go first. Don't wait for them. Do the work first. That's what we're called to. We don't do it by conditions. We do it by obedience and straight obedience. No ifs, no wins, just now. That is when awareness will come. When you choose to forgive somebody and you go to them and you attempt to reconcile, it may hurt. They may reject you, but I'll tell you what will happen. You'll have peace in your heart that you did the right thing. Your heart will change. And your heart will be broken, in fact, for them because they won't listen. And you'll find yourself praying for them that you hadn't done before. This is the way it works. You step, and then comes heart. Quit waiting for that emotional moment. God's spoken. If you need some direction, get in his word, find it, listen to him. But after that, don't wait. 
Don't wait. Quit putting it off. Do what God has called you to do. Some people say this. I say, well, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a while. But, you know, it's really been a while since I have sensed him near, sensed his presence and sensed his power. I, I don't have this awareness. So how long has that been going on? Mm, about a, a year. Well, tell me what happened a year ago. Well, I don't want to talk about it. Well, let's talk about it. There might be something here. Well, somebody hurt me really deeply then. Really? Have you been able to work through that and forgive them? No. You don't know what they did to me. And right away, it becomes very clear why they have not heard any more or sensed any more of God's presence and awareness in their life because they were walking in it until that moment. And then they refused. Then they said no. God spoke, and they said no. And awareness went away. Does it mean that God's spirit left them? No. Does it mean they stopped being a believer in Jesus Christ? No. But awareness of his presence went away. God didn't withdraw himself. They withdrew themselves because of their refusal to obey. I don't know where you are in your life. If there's a spot or a time or a place like that where you say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Things are moving along swimmingly until three months ago, nine months ago, two years ago, 12 years ago. And then this thing happened. And I said, no. If you go back to that spot and you say yes, you'll be overwhelmed at the awareness of God that will return to your life if you'll humble yourself and do what he's called you to do. Amen? This is why Peter said, repent, be baptized for your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The passage goes on. Verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified. In other words, Peter got to that point in the message, and then he kept on going. He kept on preaching. He kept on testifying, and he exhorted them. And he was saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Come on out. Stop acting like them. Stop thinking like them. Come on out into what Jesus has for you. Verse 41, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. They did it. The ones who needed to did. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Wow. That day, one day, 3,000 were added to the church. Now, I don't know how many were gathered there that day. I would imagine there were some that were gathered that were just watching, and that not everybody responded. Maybe there were 10,000 there. I don't know. But I do know that the Bible says that those who gladly received his word, they got their heart right, and they said, okay, 
I'll do the thing. I'll go. I'll follow. I'll, I'll receive you. I want my sins to be removed. I want to walk with you, Jesus. They did that, and they were baptized. And I have to imagine that Peter, he gave the call. He asked, who's going to come today? Who's going to follow Jesus Christ? Who is going to come and make a public declaration that Jesus has taken your sins? Who's going to come and be baptized? Who's going to come be washed? Who's going to make the public statement at the risk of social rejection, at the risk of political assassination? Who's going to come down here and be recognized? And I have to imagine it was kind of still for just a moment. And then I have to imagine that somebody said, I'm coming. And then I have to imagine another one raised their hand and said, I am too. Then I have to imagine one more said, me too, and me too, and me too. And the me too's kept going until there were 3,000 coming forward that day. But I'm going to tell you what. 3,000 started with one. Because somebody said, I'm not going to let my pride hold me back. I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going. I'm going to put Jesus first. I'm tired of living like I've been living. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do exactly what he said. I'm going to come back home to my wife. I'm going to come back home to my kids. I'm going to quit that awful pattern I've been involved in. I'm going to get out of that relationship i got no business being involved in. I'm going to quit that other practice I've got no business being involved in. I'm coming home, Lord. I'm coming home. And one started, and it ended when there were 3,000. Which brings us to our next kind of big point today, and here it is, number three. Awareness multiplies when one person obeys. All of a sudden, when one says, I'm going to follow Jesus, there's all of a sudden awareness in a space, in a group, in a room, in a church service. Where one says, I'm not going to sit here any longer. The Spirit of God's sitting on me like an elephant on my chest. I can't handle it anymore. I got to get up. I got to do this thing. I got to follow Him. I got to obey Him. I got to go. I got to repent. I got to be saved. I got to be baptized. I can't stand it any longer. I got to go. And one does, and all of a sudden it just kind of ripples, and all of a sudden somebody else does. When you start and you choose to obey, you never know when you're going to be the catalyst. When you're going to be the ignition that sets a fire for others to want to obey. And I have a feeling that the one who stood up, the first one who stood up that day, had no clue that this will be recorded in Scripture, that 3,000 came that day and were baptized and joined to the church. But it takes one to start it. So I'll just be honest. Whenever we come to a time like this and we have our response time at the end, I'm not looking for show. I hope you know that. I'm looking for indicators of the Spirit of God. I'm looking for people who need a little encouragement to be moved and respond to God. So when we have our response time, I'm looking for those who are going to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and respond. And sometimes God speaks to us and says, I want you to go forward and I want you to pray with somebody. I want you to ask somebody to pray with you. I want you to make a commitment to me and here's what I want you to commit. And God says those things to you. And I totally get that you can do that in your chair. 
I get it. But we have not gathered this morning just for us this morning, right? I'm not here for me. You're not here just for you. We've gathered together as the body of Christ. And you don't know when somebody else in the room needs to be encouraged, needs to see that the Spirit of God is here, needs to see that the Spirit of God is at work, needs to see that you are making fresh commitments in your life, needs to see that God is moving in the hearts of people. So we have response times. I hope you'll feel the freedom to respond to what God is saying to you for what he's doing in you, but for what he might be doing in that person next to you or the person on your row or the person three rows behind you who needs to see that the Spirit of God is alive and moving. We go on in the passage, verse 42, and it says this, that after all this happened, that they continued steadfastly. I don't know how much longer this is a reference to. It gives me the impression that much time was referenced here. And during that time, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. Some time passed. They weren't just a flash in the pan and then they went back to their old ways. No, these people were radically changed, fundamentally changed in who they were. They received the Spirit of God within them. And the evidence was that they were continuing steadfastly. They just kept going at it. They just kept seeking the Lord. And it gives us a very specific list of what they did. They were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles were teaching and preaching, and they continued in it. They said, we want to know what Scripture says. We want to know what God means by this church. We want to know how to live this stuff out. And so they would dig into it regularly, consistently, steadfastly. They kept seeking. They kept reading. They kept listening. They kept learning. They didn't put it off. They didn't make it as a New Year's goal that ended three weeks into the new year. They kept on continuing steadfastly. It got difficult, but they continued steadfastly. It got hard, but they continued steadfastly. People started making fun of them and mocking them, and they started suffering. But they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. But they also continued in fellowship. They kept getting together. They said, I want to i got to connect my life with other people who are doing the same thing. I need some encouragement. I need some hope. I need to sit down with some other folks who are going through what I'm going through and so I can hear what they've found in Jesus to help them. I want to hear where God's at work in other people's lives, and that's part of what fellowship is. So here in February, whenever we get together in homes, that's part of what's going to be happening. We're going to be looking into God's Word, the apostles' doctrine, what they were teaching, and in fellowship... I'm connecting relationships. I'm sharing my life. I'm learning from other people. I'm finding hope. I'm giving hope. It's what the body is made for. Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. I like some bread. I really like bread. I like to gather and eat bread. My wife makes great bread. I believe, however, this is a reference to communion, to the body of Christ, unleavened bread broken for us. 
So when they did gather, I'm sure they had some good food. I'm sure they also took time to remember what Jesus had done. His body broken for them. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And they broke bread so that they might remember what he had done. And so that they might remember what to do for one another. To feed. To lay down your life. To be broken. So that husbands had another man they were turning to and finding hope and encouragement as they were loving their wives. So that wives got together and they found hope and encouragement as they were loving their husbands. And young people got together to find encouragement as they were relating to their parents. And and children got together and understanding the, the most elementary but beautiful things about who Jesus was. They got together and they continued steadfastly. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. I don't mean just reciting prayers. They gathered to truly pray for one another. For the family where the husband had been arrested because of his faith and the wife was left to raise her kids alone, they prayed for her. They cared for her. They lifted him up. For those who were struggling with illness, they prayed and they didn't stop. They kept on praying, and they prayed confidently. They prayed with great faith, like us today. We've gathered, we've prayed for Megan Rainey, who's beginning cancer treatments. We're praying for her. Rob Tarver, praying for him as he goes through cancer treatments. We pray for needs like this. We pray for homes where there's conflict. We pray for marriages where there's just, they're just hanging on by a thread. We pray for students who are involved in things they've got no business being involved in that need to come to the Lord. You, you gather and you pray for real needs, real not just generalized, God bless us all prayers, but God, would you do a work in Rob Tarver's life? Would you help him see your power and grace in this time? Would you fill his wife with peace as she walks through this journey with him? Would you work in their family and provide for needs that they face? And you get down into that kind of prayer because you know people because you know the Lord and you've walked in his doctrine and you know what he can do. This is what the disciples and the apostles and the new believers were giving themselves to continually. They said, we're making a fresh start. We're not walking like we used to. We're walking in the newness of God's spirit. And they walked in it. Our last big point this morning is this. Awareness comes to those who change the pattern. When you finally say, I'm done. I'm done with the old pattern. I'm done with listening to what I've been listening to. I'm done with getting my counsel from where I've gotten my counsel. 
I'm done with spending my time where I've been spending my time. I'm done with living for me. Now, I'm making a fresh start. I'm going to walk in and consistently and steadfastly walk in truth. I'm going to learn truth. I'm going to get a book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to follow a blog. I'm going to listen to a message online. I'm going to increase my faith. It's big. It's important to me. I'm going to get involved in some fellowship. I'm going to stop just sitting at home alone. I'm going to get connected with some people. I'm going to make Jesus my pattern for all that I do, not some movie star or some body that the world's holding up. Jesus, his life broken for us is going to be my pattern from now on. And I'm going to believe in God's power and I'm going to pray. This is going to shape me now. I've got a new focus. I've got a new direction. I've got a new passion. You see, when people do those things, then new awareness comes. You'll become aware of God's power and his presence. You won't get discouraged because things seem to be turning in a, in a negative way. You'll say, you know what? I trust my God who's bigger than this right here. In fact, I know he's going to use this in a way that I can't imagine right now, but I trust him in it. I'm going to keep walking in. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk right up into this thing, trusting my God, and we're going to see what happens. This is what you do when you get a fresh start. Because they did all of this, because this is what brings awareness, look what happened next. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Hey, we brought it all the way back around. Good job. This is what happens when you do the things that cause awareness. When you walk in the reality of Christ's presence in your life, when you choose to make some new patterns in your life, when you choose to be broken, when you choose to put him first, then you see things happen. Then the power of the Spirit comes and changes lives. Amen? Amen. It's then that people get in this anticipation, expectation, passion, God's going to do something. God's at work, and I'm here with him. I can't wait to see what happens. Well, here we are. We've come to our response time. It's the end of the message. The truth's been shown to us. God's spoken to us through his word. His spirit's speaking to us. I'm confident he is and has been and is right now. And I would have to believe that he's got some areas in our own lives where he's called us to make some changes. Amen? Some things he's speaking personally to you about. This day has not been about the person next to you or the person three rows down on your row. It's been about you. God's speaking to you. He's got something he wants to do in you. And it starts there. And then it moves to here. So, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask our counselors to come. They're going to stand up here at the front. And I'm going to ask you to do something bold today. If there's an area in your life that God has been speaking to you about, I'm going to ask you that when I finish praying, if you'll just step out to come let one of them know, Here's what God said to me today. 
And if we have a line that pours to the back of the room, hallelujah. It'll be evidence the Spirit of God is here. Amen? Let's pray together.